Welcome to Executive Leaders Radio. In this hour, you'll hear directly from our region's finest business leaders. Through each of the interviews, these high-achieving leaders become relatable role models who share how they were able to build their enterprise, their personal secrets of success, about leadership styles and opportunities that lie ahead. Prepare to be inspired and entertained and to hear wisdom unheard elsewhere. Executive Leaders Radio. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio, broadcast from the Arlington Chamber of Commerce. This is your host, Herb Cohen, with my co-host, John Yetman, AEG, Mike Ross, now on the Chamber of Commerce, Brian Thompson, Jackson Campbell, Michael Ferber, McMillan Metro, Matt Lesko, Lesko and Walderman, Ken Trankel, and Charles Mann of Verity Commercial. And we have a great lineup of guests for you in our show today, including Shelley Murphy, President and CEO of Wesley House and Development Corporation, first. Pierre Lafarge, co-founder and CEO of Spark Fund, second, Dali Oberoi, founder and chairman of C-Squared Technologies, third, and Prufesh Modera, partner in charge of Stradley Ronan, on our fourth spot. Let's get to know our first guest, Shelley Murphy, president and CEO of Wesley Housing Development Corporation. Shelley, what is Wesley Development Housing Corporation? Wesley Housing Development Corporation is a nonprofit that develops affordable housing in the D.C. metro area. How many units do you guys develop so far? Um, around 2,200. And who cur- are these people, how, who, how, who are these housing units helping? These folk, these units help people who um, are primarily low-income working people and, where and from disabled. Where are you from originally? Medford, Oregon. Mm-hmm. How many brothers and sisters? I have two much older siblings. Two much older siblings. Brother was, and sister. What was going on with you when, uh, when you were about five years old? Uh, my... Mom and dad separated. It was my mom's second mm-hmm. marriage after her so first husband So mom and dad died. separated when you were five. And what do you think the effect of you on you was of that? Uh, I had to grow up pretty fast. My mom had to go back to work full time. And um, my siblings were out of the house at that point. So it was just pretty much my mom and me. Mm-hmm. What do you mean you had to grow up pretty quick? I was on my own. You know, came home after school on my own, did my own homework. Helped around the house. Mm-hmm. Matt? I want to know why you started this nonprofit. What what drove you to this mission? Uh, I came to this nonprofit after working in the for-profit sector for a number of years. And I think the reason for me is because it's about taking care of moms and kids, uh, going back to my roots, and um, taking care of making sure that folks have opportunities to um, improve their lives. When you talk about going back to your roots, what what impact in your childhood? Being raised by a single mom. Mm-hmm. Michael? Uh, what types of activities were you involved with when you were younger and in school? Um, mostly academic activities, uh, academic clubs. Um, I did uh, volunteer for with an organization that worked with uh, development, developmentally disabled kids. What uh, effect does working with the developmentally disabled kids have on you uh, now? Well, it really taught me that every person has value regardless of their station in life. Well, what do you mean? How did you learn that lesson? Because when you're working with those kids, you see how much value that they bring to the world and that translates to everybody everybody has value kenneth talking previously we talked about a lot of setbacks you've had in your life Uh, how does that affect what you do now i think what i really learned from it is perseverance uh i would say there's nothing wait 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 wait, wait. What, what kind of setbacks have you had what's ken talking about well my parents split up when i was five um my First marriage ended in divorce. I remarried, adopted kids. My husband passed away. I raised my kids. Wow. Okay, and what was Ken's question? What did you want to know, Ken? How's that affected her? What was that? Yes, how does it affect what you do now? You know, I I learned to trust myself, and I learned perseverance. The, The things that I've achieved in life, I did not necessarily get the first time. And one of the things I've taught my kids is if you don't get it the first time, you have to decide if you want it badly enough to go after it again. You said you have kids. How many kids? Uh, I've got three adopted kids. What kind of mother are you? (laughs) Uh, I am a caring mom. I am a mom who wants to raise her kids to be good, successful People. What's the similarity between being a mom and being the president and CEO of Wesley Housing Development Corporation? The similarity? Because we want our 
employees to be successful. We want our residents to be successful. I want my children to be successful. Who's got the next question? Shelly, why didn't you take risk as a child and what changed to lead you to take more risk now as an adult? Um, as a kid, I didn't take a lot of risks because it was about security, you know, being raised in a, by a single mom in a home with not a lot of resources. And I think as time went on and I learned from life, uh, you know, you, you learn that uh, taking risks helps you get to that next place. And, you know, probably the biggest risk professionally that I took was when I came to Wesley Housing and made the change from the for-profit to the nonprofit world. Shelly, what uh, impact did your relationships with your much older siblings have on you? You know, they were, especially my brother, was uh, extremely independent, as was I. And he was um, a troubled kid after his dad died and turned that into being a real entrepreneur. And he was always so supportive of me and the things that I was doing. Shelly, what makes you happy? seeing the people around me um, grow. And what? why is that? Uh, it just feeds me. What, what feeds you? You mean about seeing the people around me grow? Yeah, what do you mean by that? What are you talking about? It's... And how do you mean that? What do you mean by them grow? What's that look like? It looks like... Um, my adopted grandkids getting launched and watching them become great people and having that relationship grow and change over time. It's watching my employees figure out what they want to do and helping them get to do that both within and outside of our organization. It has to do with um, growth. It has to do with people being happy and succeeding. What's, what's, what, what is happiness? What's the definition of that? I don't know what the definition of happiness is. Mm -hmm. So you, you went through a lot of stuff in your earlier life. Mm -hmm. And what have you learned from that? What, 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 how's that affected you? Well, I guess from that standpoint, you make your own happiness. What do you mean? You know, we're responsible for where we go in life. And we also have a responsibility to the people around us to um, help them be the best that they can be. We... So we have the responsibility of, of uh, designing our future? Yes. Weren't you victimized by your past? No. I was built by my past. What are you talking about? What do you mean? Every obstacle that I had to overcome made me stronger and taught me things. And it's all about how you learn from setbacks and mistakes and how you use those to propel you forward. Mm-hmm. And how, why are you doing your job? Why does this career turn you on? It is really the fulfillment of all the skills I've learned professionally through my whole career. Uh, I get to lead an organization who does incredibly important work, uh, and it's, it's just very fulfilling. Charles? When you lay your head on your pillow at night, what makes you fulfilled? knowing that I have done the best that I can do for that day and getting ready to do it again the next day. You, you seem to be a little, you, you, I'm, I'm looking at you, I, I see you tearing up a little bit, it seems like. Uh, is that because this is what your life's work is all about? I have a passion for this work that I didn't know existed until I came to this. You seem very passionate here today. Mm-hmm. When you say this is your life's work and you have a passion for it, tell us more about that. What do you mean? Well, you know, being that kid that wanted security, so I went the corporate route and was very successful in my corporate world. And then when I had the chance to make a change and decided to give back, I was led to this work. It was, I didn't know real estate. I didn't know nonprofits. It was the only job I interviewed for. And the organization needed my skills at the time I started 10 years ago, and I've been able to take us to a different place. And that just feels good every day. So the reason you're matched to the job and the job is matched to you is because you've been able to take this gig to the next place and you feel fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. And uh, this is a nonprofit. Do you get paid for working overtime? No. <laughs> Do you work before 9 o'clock and after 5 o'clock? Yes. Do you ever have to get stuck working weekends? Yes. 
Um, how do you feel about that? It's all about balance. What do you mean? So I think the great thing in the culture I've tried to build at Wesley is everybody has the flexibility to live their lives. So particularly the rest of the staff, if you um, work nights and weekends, then maybe you go home early on a Friday. This job gave me the flexibility to uh, take care of my husband when he was sick, raise my kids after he was gone, and still get the job done. Mm -hmm. What's the best part of your job? Leading the employees. Mm -hmm. What's the website address of this organization? WesleyHousing.org. WesleyHousing.org? Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. We've been speaking with... Shelly Murphy, President and CEO of Wesley Housing Development Corporation here on Executive Leaders with my co-hosts, John Yetman, AEG, Mike Ross, now on the chamber, Brian Thompson, Jackson Campbell, Michael Ferber, McMillan Metro, Matt Lesko, Lesko, Walderman, Ken Trankel, and Charles Mann of Verity Commercial. This is Herb Cohen. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com, to learn more about our executive leaders. It's executiveleadersradio.com. To learn more about our executive leaders, we'll be back in a moment right after this break. One help building your business with help from this show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that. They've succeeded in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars, and some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars, and some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. And your name is? Ray Briscuso. And Ray, what organization are you with? Life Sciences Conference Group. And what is Life Sciences Conference Group? What do you folks do? We produce annual conferences and events for medical technology, life science, pharmaceutical companies. Uh-huh. So if I go to an event, you're the folks that are working behind the scenes to make it happen? That's correct. We're the ones that make sure the food's on the table, the seats are there, soundstage and lights are there, your registration process works. And, and what kind of events are these? Are these just in the life science industry? Strictly in the life science industry. Why, why do you focus on the life science industry? Uh, we found that the best way to produce a high-quality event is to really know your customer. So we don't believe in numbers. It's names. We get to know each company. We find out what their actual mission and goals are, and we find the best way to deliver the value to them. And are you doing this nationally or regionally? We do it nationally. We continue to look for international opportunities, but it's primarily here in North America. And how old is this company? Uh, the company has just finished its 10th year. And how long have you been with the company? I founded the company 10 years ago. What gave you the idea to start this company? I used to work for a big corporation, and I produced the annual event for us. And when I decided to leave, they said, thank you for giving us $150 million worth of a business, and we'll see you later. And mm -hmm. next time I decided I would keep some ownership and do it myself. Ah, so you've been, building, you've been building this ever since. What do you like about your job? I like how different it is because we mix policy, we mix business. I might be putting one CEO together with a politician. I might be putting another CEO together with an investor. Mm -hmm. And I might be putting the next person together with their next employee. How interesting. Well, what's the website address for this organization? MedTechConference.org. Let me have that one more time. MedTechConference.org. And the name of the organization, again, is? A Life Sciences Conference Group. Life Sciences Conference Group. And your name is? Ray Briscuso. Ray Briscuso. We've been talking to Ray Briscuso, CEO and managing partner of Life Sciences Conference Group here on Executive Leaders Radio. This has been your business spotlight. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Pierre Lafarge, co-founder and CEO of SparkFund. Pierre, wh wh what is SparkFund? What are you guys doing? SparkFund is a platform that helps uh, large energy companies like utilities bring a really new offer around how to access the benefits of energy systems like lights and heating ventilation in their buildings on a subscription offer. Mm -hmm. Where are you from originally? I'm from two places. I'm from uh, uh, Rhode Island and South Carolina. Michael? Um, what made you move uh, from Rhode Island to South Carolina? Well, my, my father passed away when I was six and uh, of cancer, and, and my uh, aunt and grandfather in, in South Carolina and Virginia had always taken care of me throughout that time, and, and so ultimately I, I moved to live full-time with them, but 
had always spent summers down there. How did, how did moving around as a child affect what you do today? Well, it's, it's had a, a big impact. I think one of the great blessings of my life is hybridity. Um, the uh, ability to, to see different regions and cultures, uh, of the, you know. The, uh, what was the difference between the two environments? This Rhode Island, uh, Rhode Island, and uh, the other place you grew up. Where were the two places, and what were the differences? Yeah, well, as I like to say, sometimes I grew up in the rural north and the urban south, and in a farm. In, what do you in, mean by that? In a farm in Rhode Island, in a, in a very uh, kind of wealthy family context in, in the north, and and uh, in a city in South Carolina, in a much uh, less privileged. <laughs> part of the family so you grew up in a fancy dancey area and a less fancy dancey area that's right two uh-huh. different levels of and what'd you learn from that what'd that do to you well i think it it helped me see that there really isn't that much of a difference in uh the people underneath excuse and me what <laughs> so surprisingly but the but people are really uh people and and they're trying to do their best regardless of the circumstance or or uh and, and what else how else did that affect you how did that affect your business acumen and what you're doing in business I think it gave me a love of, of walking into different rooms and uh, adapting quickly to a different environment, having mm-hmm. to move schools as a kid and move regions and uh, learn how mm-hmm. to say y'all. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, Brian, certainly. what's going on in your mind? Uh, Pierre, it seems like there might be a, a green side to your business. How did growing up on a farm influence it? Yeah, I think in two ways. Uh, you know, Growing up on a farm in some ways and, and being exposed to my grandfather's farm in Virginia uh, really actually impacted my understanding of, of small businesses and farms as really interesting business systems. But obviously that connection to the land was a big part of my life. And my father was an environmentalist and poet and did a lot of watershed conservation. So definitely had an impact on, Matt, on why energy became my career. You mentioned that your father passed away, I think you said at the age of six. Mm-hmm. How did that impact you in today? Well, as, as any time, you know, you have a, a death of a parent, uh, it, it had a huge impact. And it left me alone with with my mom and on a big farm, and uh, gave me a lot of time to to you know learn to be independent and play in the woods and you know, wake up each day and and uh, you know figure out. Charles, you, you mentioned Ooh. that uh, it changed the relationship with your mom. Can you talk a little bit about that? And it did. As I mentioned, my aunt and grandfather were always very present in in raising me, and even when my dad was sick and. Uh, it was hard for my mom to to become a single mother and and to feel like she you know had to had to pick up that burden. So it, it definitely did change the relationship, and and it was and it was hard. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a mother's influence on a family is so huge, and yet you did not have that uh, mother influencing you like that. Mm-hmm. How did that shape your life? I think in some ways I did have it, and and I learned that it wasn't necessarily from my mother, but it was from. Uh, my aunt and from other people in my life. You know, even when you have that difficult circumstance at home, you realize how many people around you love you and care about you and, and reflect that strength. And, did and you that start, was a great blessing. Did you start seeking out mentors? Certainly. I think that one of the impacts of, of losing a, a, a father early was a sort of hunger for uh, that surrogate, whether a father or mother, and, and really, uh, you know, very much seeking out mentorship and support uh, to to learn some of those lessons that would otherwise have been besides, part of that relationship. Besides your aunt, what's the first name that pops to your mind? Well, my grandfather certainly. Uh, he was an incredible man, and you know had had an amazing life and career. And I learned a lot from him. He died when I was thirteen, but I got to know him very well uh, in, in that time. Here in you, the green room, you talked about your older siblings and then your relationship with your nieces and nephews. Can you talk about? what they've taught you and how that fills into your business? Sure. My my siblings you know, were much older, half-siblings, same father and different mother. And, and so they were out of the home when I was growing up, but still very present, emotionally present in my life. Um, and it's been a great privilege to grow up and become their friends as, as an adult and also as they've had kids. They, they to, were emotionally present in your life. Isn't that what you just said? Yeah. What, what, so you learned that you could depend on people. Yeah, I think. Do that's you have right. any partners in business? I do. How many partners do you have? I uh, started the company with with three partners. So isn't it? I, I, what I've read in the newspapers is partners sue each other and they don't get along. But you're telling me you figured out a way to get along with. You've actually chosen folks, and you because you can trust them. Is that anything to do with the fact you felt you were emotionally supported as a kid? I think so, and I think it connects to the question the asked us about mentorship, which is learning how to seek out mentors and uh, you know develop that trust. Um, I think is something that is definitely extended and, and it's a definitely a very uh, powerful part of my life currently is having relationships with with business partners and mentors and friends who who I feel really truly supported by and and uh, and connected to Lester I mean you you could have turned inward given all that you had to go through and instead you went the other way you re- actually reached out 
What's that really attributed to? Well, I think that you know there was a little bit of both. Certainly, as a child, I spent a lot of time playing alone in the woods and, and exploring. But at the same time, you know, it's that it's that opportunity to move to different regions and different places, and and to show up in a room and learn something new about people and, and connect with them. And I learned that I had that skill, and and that it was uh, something that made me feel uh, really connected to people. And Charles, went that way. It's oh, oh over here. Yes. So you you spend a lot of time in in the woods. You talked about in in Vermont. In that in the time in the woods, did you invent anything? Uh, yeah, always you know exploring uh, forts and streams. I think one of the other things I took from my childhood time there was a love of, of fly fishing. Uh, my my uncle and and grandfather were big fly fishermen, so exploring streams. They're, they're little worlds until themselves, and and then definitely uh, little worlds to themselves. So you keep on you keep imagining stuff, don't you? <laughs> I do. Yes. <laughs> so does that have anything? This ability to imagine and to invent stuff. What would you invent in the woods? Well, everything from uh, you know uh, imaginary worlds and forts to, as I mentioned before, I love Star Wars and used to. Uh, Where did this business idea come from? The the idea for Spark Fund came from a time as a consultant at ICF International and and had had the but opportunity. The point to is that you you have ideas. And you, can you see, is there a connection between those ideas in the woods and seeing the waters as uh, their own environments and seeing into stuff and inventing stuff? Does that have anything to do with coming up with new business ideas? Is there a connection there? I think that the connection is is that if you if you can imagine the world at any scale, how it could be, you can scale that to the world around you. And Thank you. I needed you to tell me that. Ken, what are you thinking? I'm thinking about... Uh, You've kind of experienced a lot of diversity growing up and through. How does that affect it, what you're saying about imagining and starting this business? Well, I think that it's, you know, when constraints change, when you move regions and cultures and, and uh, environments, you realize that some of the constraints in the world aren't fully fixed. And again, that people are just people. So you can imagine the world as a more flexible combination of, of what you're seeing. Oh, wait, 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 wait. That could be like when, when things change around me, it's like I get freaked out. You're telling me that you just naturally adjust? I don't know if I naturally adjust. It's always a difficult process, but I think that if you learn to love the process of adjustment, uh, that helps you. Do you see opportunity in all that chaos? I do, yes. Oh, my gosh. As opposed to getting freaked out, you're looking at opportunity as things keep changing. Brian, what are you thinking? You mentioned earlier about how you did become somewhat introverted when everything happened to you. Is there one person that helped you come back out and be who you are? Yeah, my, my aunt. Uh, moving to South Carolina and, and really feeling like I had a, a friend and a mentor and, and someone who could really give me the space to to be myself. And, and through that difficult shift of regions and starting a new school, uh, she helped me through that and, and made me realize that uh, I was going to be okay. Next question. Your aunt, does ahead, your aunt know how you feel about her? She does, absolutely. Have you told her recently? I have. Uh-huh. Does she have a piece of this new business? Uh, she does. She uh, she invested a, a very small amount in it, but she she's believed in me in many different stages uh, of my life. Charles, did you know in advance that his aunt invested in this business? I did not. So you just guessed this. <laughs> uh-huh. So how do you feel going to your aunt to raise money? Well, you know, it was. I think it was actually less of it. Ask again. It was a very very small amount, but the mm-hmm. but the key is it was something that she felt was a reflection of mm-hmm. of. Uh, her wanting me to know that she was behind me all the way. Gotcha. What's the website address of this organization? Sparkfund.com. Sparkfund. We've been speaking with Pierre Pierre Lafarge, co-founder and CEO of Sparkfund here on Executive Leaders Radio. Back in a moment right after this break. Want help building your business with help from this show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, Because our CEOs have been there and done that. They've succeeded in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on this show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. And your name is? Jeff Lawson. And Jeff, what organization are you with? I'm with Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And what do you guys do? What kind of stuff are you doing that's special? 
Well, we manage uh, conference centers and hotels, and we're currently managing the National Conference Center in Leesburg, Virginia. National Conference Center. How large or how small is this organization? Um, the conference center itself is 900 rooms in size, 350,000 square feet of meeting space, dining facilities for 850, uh, exercise facility all set on 61 acres of land. Wow, this is a large organization, isn't it? It is, very large. Uh-huh. And what's your role in the organization? I'm the general manager, and I have oversight of the uh, property and all the hospitality services that occur. Well, w- what's the general manager supposed to do with this large facility? Make sure, I have a, make sure eight executive community members and a, and a full uh, staff of 210 do their daily jobs. So how many folks do you have running through your halls on a weekly basis or daily basis or annual basis? What's that look like? Well, on a weekly basis on a full house, we'll have uh, 900 per night, um, seven nights, uh, 6,300, which translates to about 20,000 meals a week. Wow. And uh, your job, are you working nine to five or do you end up having to work evenings and early mornings and weekends and stuff like that? No, I'd say I'm always on duty. Uh-huh. Do you, wh- what do you enjoy about your job? Meeting people, working with some of the finest hospitality people in Virginia, which is my team, and meeting our clients because they're wonderful. So you're helping your clients plan their events? Well, we help plan. Uh, they are there for some form of education that goes on at one end of our business, and at the other end of our business, they're there for social catering events, uh, weddings, and such. So you're you're well, you're running a twenty four by seven facility, aren't you? We are. Uh huh. What's the website address of this organization? Conferencecenter.com. Let me have that again. Conferencecenter.com. And your name again is Jeff Lawson. And the name of the organization? Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And this has been your business spotlight. I'm Tina Leone. I'm the CEO of the Boston Business Improvement District. Uh, and what is the Boston Business Improvement District? We work to attract, support, and connect the most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Boston is known as an epicenter for research and discovery. Uh, some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the internet. The first satellite, all were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston. How, how old is this organization? We're just, just shy of six years old. How long have you been there? How long have you been uh, there? Almost six years as well. Did you found this organization? Yes, I, I am the founding CEO. Why did you do that? Well, the, the, the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners in why, Boston. Why, why, why does it turn you on? Why does your gig turn you on? <laughs> people. I mean, we the, the, the ability to connect people, and then who knows the next great idea is going to result from that. We have incredible minds in the Washington, D.C. area, and Boston is, as I said, the epicenter for the smartest people in this area. So your job, you're like the master connector. I feel like the mayor of, of Boston, the mayor of innovation, because that's uh-huh. what's happening. So your idea, your, your thought is, in order to create more stuff, in order to launch more businesses, in order to cause more good, it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people. Exactly. And you like being in the middle of all that I, stuff. Oh, we love it. We love it. And simple things, just connecting people through events, through art, uh, through a happy hour. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's going to come out of that. Mm-hmm. That's what's exciting. So it's all about the people. And you're the uh, you're the founder of this organization. Is this a nine to five kind of job oh, for you? Hell no. It's a lot longer uh-huh. than that, baby. So do you have to you have to work the weekends and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, sure, sure. Let me have the website address of this sure, it's organization. Bostonbid.com, and, and you can download Boston Connect mobile app. Let me have uh, let me have that website address one more Balsambid. time. Bostonbid.com. Com. It's B-A, give me the spelling on that. B-A-L-L-S-T-O-N-B-I-D.com. Excellent. And your name again is? Tina Leone. And the name of the organization? Is the Balsam Business Improvement District. And this has been your business spotlight back in a moment. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Dolly Oberoi, founder and chairman of C-Squared Technologies. Dolly, what is C-Squared Technologies? C-Squared Technologies is focused on online learning, simulation modeling, human capital, and information technology. How large or how small is the team? We are over 400 people strong. Wow, that's a nice, nice company. And how did you get a job with this company? Well, uh, I couldn't get a job. That's why this company came into existence. I'm the founder of the company. Wow, you started the business. Where are you from originally? New Delhi, India. Uh, How many brothers and sisters do you have? I, I'm a second of four. So you're the second of four. And tell us about your older sister. Well, I have an older sister who, at a very young age, was a high achiever. So I was always trying to find my space in the family. And uh, that drove me to actually work very hard. Mm-hmm. Michael? How young were you when you started getting visions of uh, the kinds of things you could do? Uh, having grown up in India where women really didn't have a place in the workplace, I saw my mother starting schools for, the, uh, for refugee children, and I started getting ideas that I could actually be somebody as a woman in India. Wait, 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 wait. What, what do you, give me that again. What? 
culturally, we are in a very male-dominated com- country, and there was really no place for women in the workplace. So having watched my mother work, I felt that I could also achieve and be, a, uh, be someone in the, in the workplace. What kind of visions were you getting? Well, there were many ideas that I am an idea person, so all sorts of ideas were floating through my head from running for office to starting my own business to starting schools focused on science and technology. So you're telling me you grew up in a society that was male-dominated. Fortunately, you were able to cut through, which is fortunate because you started a 400-person business, and I'm sure you've had many other ideas. Charles, what are you thinking? I just want to know what role your husband plays in your life. So my husband is a partner, business partner, and a great supporter. I'm really excited that he's been able to support me through this uh, adventure. Are you seem, you know, dynamite comes in small packages. And if people could see you, you're a small person, but you have a lot of passion. Is this passion transferable? Uh, it depends. I saw a lot of passion. As I said, my mother was my mentor, my grandmother, my father. I saw a lot of passion in them in nation building. And they actually transferred that passion to us. And I transfer that to my staff and my clients and my children. How? Through, by role modeling it. The, the, my work is not my job. It's my passion. We make a difference every day. Uh-huh. Did you mention that uh, one of the things you try to do to relax is you go on hikes? What do you think about on these hikes? Well, um, these hikes, you know, they open up your mind because you're in rarefied air and you can't think straight anyway. So they get, I, I get a lot of ideas. It just opens my mind. What kind of ideas of do you get when you're hiking? What kind of ideas do you get when you're hiking? Mostly business ideas. <laughs> so you're constantly seeing opportunities. Correct. So you're not one who believes that there's not a lot of opportunities. You're constantly seeing opportunities, Correct. aren't you? Uh-huh. Matt? I have to ask, what's the next opportunity? Well, let, let's go back. to. What, 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 I understand that um, your parents were refugees. Tell us a little bit about uh, how do you know that and what was the effect of you on your parents being refugees? Well, my parents came as refugees uh, during the partition of India and Pakistan. They were children. And uh, when, they, uh, when I came around, we heard a lot of stories and there was a lot of strife around us because India was in a developmental stage and they really instilled nation building and public service and community service because how, they helped how, how the that community how develop. Did that, wait, how, did that, how, did, how did they instill that? What are you talking about here? What do you mean? Well, when they, everybody was displaced, they had no homes, no jobs, and the clothes on their backs, and they had to rebuild their lives. This is your parents? My parents, yes. They came penniless and homeless. But you weren't there when that happened. I was not there, but I saw the impact of that because we lost a lot of family members, women and children and uh, husbands, fathers. And how's that affecting you nowadays? Well, you know, at such a young age, having seen so much strife in our family, because it was not one, it was a whole neighborhood supporting each other, everybody supporting. So we grew up really... Uh, learning to help everybody and be very present in public service. So you're telling me that your reason for starting this business, there's another purpose to start this business? The purpose, my purpose in life was to connect the poor kids that we were uh, teaching to the rest of the world through technology. That's what brought me to the United States. What are you talking about? What do you mean? Well, you know, I was teaching these young poor children, and uh, uh, they were living on the streets. They had no homes. They had no, and I'm trying to educate them and teach them physics and geography and connect them, connect a lot of dots for them that they couldn't. So I felt that I could bring technology to them and connect them to the rest of the you're world. Like, you're like you're like everybody's big sister, aren't you? Well, I think it's uh, it, somebody has to think about connecting the dots for people. I'm trying to figure out whether you're everybody's big sister or everybody's mother. It's something like that. Brian, what are you thinking? Well, you stated earlier on in the green room that when you came to the U.S., you had no intention of staying here. Uh, But you stayed. What happened to change that? So when I, uh, my mission was to learn about education technology, take it back, transfer it to India. And when I went there, there was no readiness at that time. So I came back to the United States to practice what I had learned. But then I also met my husband, and uh, he happens to be an American who wanted to live here, not in that part of the world. So here where I am. Kenneth, what are you thinking? Yeah, I like the way you think there's always a better way. And also, I'm impressed at how you think big. When did that start? 
you know, growing up in a family that always thought big, so, um, you you know, I just naturally think big. I'm not a details person. I leave it to others to do the details. So I come up with the big thinking ideas, the blue sky kind of things, and uh, I think it always was there. But it was ignited only when I came to the United States. Why, why was that? that? Was the why, why, phase of my why, life. Why, why, what do you mean it was ignited when you came to the United States? Why would that be? So, uh, growing up in India, the culturally it's very different. Everything is very top-down, didactic, and controlled. When you and this is one of the reasons why immigrants do so well in this country. It is it is a blue sky country. There are opportunities abound, possibilities abound. People take you in, and then you suddenly realize. You can really conquer the universe, and that's what happened to me. Wow. You mentioned this first phase and second phase of your life. You didn't talk much about the first phase. What the, was that like? I think the first phase was kind of a blur in my, um, from my point of view because I was a kid and I was watching so, uh, my parents reestablish their lives, and I was watching them, and I could see what I could potentially do with my life. But it wasn't until I left uh, India that I realized who I was. I was a very shy person, and then all of a sudden, you can see I'm not shy and not hurting for words either. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think the first phase influenced how you are now? Uh, I believe so. Uh, How? It was... I mean, I got a lot of ideas at that time too, but I just, and I, I, I thought, I believed in myself, but I didn't know how I would operationalize my ideas till I came to the United States. John? Hey, Dolly. So you, you say you like hiking, you like climbing mountains, both physically and I guess in business. So uh, how do you overcome all the obstacles that get thrown your way? Well, um, just the fact that I came with 200 bucks in a backpack in this country and no business acumen and no capital, no access to market, I really uh, look at everything in my life as an entrepreneurial journey and start taking a big plan and set goals and start attacking one problem at a time and solving. And if I can't solve it, I'm very open to seeking advice from others. Uh, Dolly, if mom and dad were to walk into your office nowadays, how do you think they'd feel? Um... My mom is alive, my father is deceased. My father felt that because I didn't have an MBA, I have two other uh, master's degrees, that is the Indian way. He didn't feel that I would be successful in business and my mother, um, she thinks I should do better. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me, let me have that again. You started a 400 person business and what was that your mother's thinking? Well, I'm starting my next uh, venture next week. Excuse me? uh, my mother doesn't feel I've done enough yet. Oh, my gosh. Charles, what are you thinking there? I love your mother. Yeah, (laughs) me too. She's 84. She goes to work. Yeah, she goes to work. And she's disabled. She works for you? No. Nobody cannot work for her. Nobody can work for me. We work for our mother. What do you do for fun? Um... I, I love playing tennis. I'm not as good as some of some other people, but um, and I go hiking. That's that's really those two are my passions. Lester, yeah. When you when you had mentioned that you know you were a shy child, but then you uh, you've kind of found your your voice. What is it that happened to you that actually gave you that? Yeah. What when you you mentioned earlier that um, you were shy and then you found your voice. What caused that transition? So when I came to the United States, I was on my own. And I knew that if I didn't fight for myself and fend for myself, nobody else was going to. And that really pushed me out of my comfort zone. And uh, I realized that if I wanted something, I had to go get it. So you stepped up to the plate. Correct. Uh huh. And there was nobody to tell you you couldn't? That's right. There were no barriers. It was totally, I was totally unleashed completely. Uh huh. So where'd the money come from to start the business? Um... Well, there was no money, so um, I just consulted and mm-hmm. bootstrapped. You bootstrapped the business. What's the website address of this company? What's your website address? Uh, C2TI.com. Let me have that again. C2TI.com. We've been speaking with Dolly Oberoi, founder and chairman of C-Squared Technologies here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com. Learn more about our executive leaders. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. And your name is? Rick Ingrisano. And Rick, what organization are you with? I'm with Adept Computer Architects. And what do you guys do? What, what do you guys do at Adept Computer Architects? We're a managed IT services firm for and the SMB market. And what do you do different than everybody else? 
Basically, we provide peace of mind for our clients. Our clients aren't real concerned about technology. They're concerned about what they do on a day-to-day basis, and they want to make sure that the equipment that they're using, the networks and so forth that they're working on are going to work and they're functional. So you're actually sending folks out onto the street. So if I have a problem, somebody will come and fix it for me. I don't have to worry about it? Yes, we're always there on site. We do a lot of things behind the scenes that people aren't aware of, but we're also there in place. That's why we've kept our clients for the last 13-plus years because they know us. Wow, so you're doing cl- stuff in the cloud, but you're also doing feet on the street Absolutely. so that I don't have to worry either way. You have to understand your client's business. If you don't, then you can't properly you know, support them. Wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. You mean you have to get to know my business in order to figure out what kind of technology I need and stuff like that? Absolutely. We're in various business verticals, and a lot of the clients that we have in specific business verticals, they do the same thing in that vertical, but the way they do it is completely different. So you can't do a cookie-cutter approach, which a lot of companies like to do. We don't. So you really get to know your customers. Absolutely. And I guess one of the reasons your customers stick around is because you're doing for them exactly what they need as opposed to something that's cookie-cutter. Absolutely. Uh How long have you been doing this? Uh, I've been in the industry for 23 years. What do you like about your job? I love the technology piece, mm-hmm. uh, but I also like the people. It's funny, some of my engineers are more uh, technology savvy, not people savvy, but I love the people side. So I love you know, introducing new technology and then seeing the wow expression on the people's faces when they realize what they can do Excellent. today in the 21st What's century. What's your website address? AdeptCA.com. Let me have that one more time. AdeptCA.com. And your name again is? It's Rick Angrisano. And the name of the organization? Is Adept Computer Architects. This has been your business spotlight. And your name and organization? Tanya Laterman with Blue Tree Digital. And, and what does Blue Tree Digital do for its clients? We are a full service digital marketing firm based in Reston, Virginia, and we help small businesses, entrepreneurs, and nonprofits grow their marketing dreams. So, your role in the company is what? I'm the managing director of client service. So your job is to do what kind of stuff? So I match clients with their marketing needs and I assemble the right team to help get results right away. So give me an example of who some of your clients are. What kind, what kind of businesses are there, nonprofits or whatever? Sure. We have businesses in all industries. We help government contractors. We help apartment complexes. We help IT companies. We help businesses in all industries, both large and small. So you're helping these businesses figure out their digital strategy? Exactly. So we do everything from creating the digital strategy to implementing it to serving as a full service marketing department when they don't have enough marketing expertise on staff. Uh-huh. And you're sitting and you're talking to these folks up front and then through the course of time to keep figuring out, considering all the stuff that's happening digital, how they can stay on top of it? Exactly. It's very relationship-based, which is sometimes hard to come by now that everything is digitally based. Uh-huh. People tend to forget about the relationships, and it's very important to keep them strong. What, what, do, you enjoy, what do you enjoy most about your job? Um, the thing I enjoy most about my job, it's a very collaborative environment, both across our team and with the clients. I really love the look on their face when I give a presentation and they see the results of the efforts really coming to fruition. Well, when it really hits them, that it makes a lot of sense. It does. Uh-huh. It's very satisfying across the board. Well, what's the website address of this organization? BlueTreeDigital.com. Let me have that one more time. BlueTreeDigital.com. And your name again is? Tanya Laterman. And the name of the organization? Blue Tree Digital. Gotcha. This has been your business spotlight. One help building your business with help from the show's CEOs. Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money. All the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that. Succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. Some of the CEOs who have appeared on our shows over the last 10 years may be willing to help you grow Assuming you've ser- you're serious about your success, serious about your own success, because it all starts with the leader. If you're serious about creating your own successful business or truly committed to putting your nose to the grindstone and doing whatever it takes to make your business successful, we may be able to match you with successful CEOs who have created millions of jobs and earned millions of dollars to help you create your success. We've established unique relationships with a unique universe of over 7,000 CEOs 
who have created substantial wealth for their companies, their teams, and themselves. These women and men get the build in their blood and often continue to start and build businesses even after they've created substantial wealth for themselves because they love the challenge of building a business. Perhaps we can present you and your business to some of these CEOs to gain their interest in helping you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com to hopefully match you with some of the CEOs we've had on the show for the last 10 years. Mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Prufesh Madera, who's the partner in charge of a law firm known as Stradley Ronan. Well, tell us a little bit more about what you guys do and how large or how small you are. So we're a full-service law firm based predominantly in the, uh, the Mid-Atlantic. Uh, we have uh, primary offices in Philadelphia, but we have offices in Philadelphia, New York, Chicago, uh, Washington, D.C., and a few other How places. young were you when you came to the United States? Well, I was six when I came to the United States, but I was four when we left uh, India to go to England. Mm-hmm. Michael? Uh, you had mentioned to us early in the green room that your uh, father came to the U.S. as an, an engineer and also worked two additional jobs when he got here. In your culture, how did uh, that affect the expectations your father had for you? Well, you know, in the Asian culture, uh, hard work is very important. Um, setting goals, uh, trying to create a career, uh, being successful, all of those things, uh, which is what my father tried to instill in me, um, I've taken on uh, over the years. Kenneth? You mentioned goals, setting goals. How does that affect you now? Well, I still continue to set goals. I, I think, you know, if you become complacent, that's not, that's not a good thing. Um, there are goals that I have in terms of my career, just goals that I have for my family. Um, Let me just and interrupt well, you. When did it first start goal setting for you? Uh, when I was very young. Uh, when I saw my father work three jobs, uh, knowing that he wanted to create uh, a better life for himself and his family. I, uh, I would set goals for myself. If I, you know, when I wanted to be on the tennis team in high school, I started playing tennis very late, but I started playing 14 hours a day in order to improve. Mm-hmm. Brian? Now, the field of law is changing. How has your background as coming from a traditional Asian family with two younger sisters influenced the way that you manage your firm? Well, I have a very uh, deep respect for my sisters uh, as well as my mother. Um, and, you know, I get along with everybody. I, I think in terms of my law firm, we have uh, a, a pretty diverse uh, law firm, and I, you know, I feel that the respect I show, whether it's women, you know, or, or other other area, you know, other people, it's it, it helps me manage the firm. Charles, when you, when you, oh. sorry. Uh, when you say respect, what do you mean by respect? Well, I mean, I, you know, I know that, you know, it's important that I understand what where they're coming from. It's not just my opinions; it's it's about their ideas as well, and and those are the things that are important to me. And so I'm I'm a very good listener. I would love you know I I pride myself on being able to talk to people and and really finding out a lot about themselves. And so that's what I use in my practice of law as well. Charles, you spent 14 hours on the court trying to make your high school varsity team. That says a lot. Do you consider yourself an athlete? Well, I think I was an athlete when I was younger. I'm not sure I'm an athlete anymore, um, but I do consider myself an athlete. Wimbledon in your future? Uh, no, I'm 54 years old. I don't think I'll be playing Wimbledon. <laughs> well, I have attended Wimbledon a couple of times. You, you spent, give, give me this again, you spent 14 hours on the court training to be on the tennis team? Yes. Um, you know, I, as I mentioned before, I, I started playing uh, tennis very late. You know, unlike most kids who start when they're four or five years old, I started when I was around 10. Um, mm-hmm. And I would, you know, in the summer times, I would play uh, pretty much the entire day. I would be up at 6 a.m. on the courts by 7, play through lunch, come back home, eat dinner, and then go back after What's after that dinner. tell us about your personality? That you're well, persistent? I'm, I'm obsessive. I'm, uh, I'm driven. Mm-hmm. Michael? You mentioned, as you said, you have this obsession to be the best, obviously playing 14 hours a day tennis. So what's next, and how do you define success? Well, I think, uh, well, I define success not just in my career, but I, I define success with respect to um, being able to take care of my family, being able to take care of my parents, uh, and I think I've achieved a lot whoa, of that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, being able to take care of your kids and take care of your parents? What, what are you talking about there? Well, it's, it's another sort of uh, part of being Asian, you know, when we're younger, our parents take care of us. When we get older, it's our responsibility to take care of our parents. And uh-huh. so I have, the same, I have the same views about my responsibility with respect to my, uh, my family as well as my parents now. Uh-huh. Lester? Yeah, I, I, I hear all the things that you do that make you what you are, and I'm wondering, where does failure show up for you, and how did you learn how to deal with it? Well, I, 
you know, I have failed at a number of things. I mean, I think if you talk to uh, my family and friends, they, they thought I was going to be a perpetual student. I started out wanting to be a doctor. So, I, you know, I was a pre-med major, decided I didn't want to be a doctor. And then I decided to go get an MBA, worked in, uh, in, in a few consulting firms. And then I decided after seven or eight years that I wanted to go get a law degree. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I've had failures along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, Dolly, what question you got for uh, our friend Proofresh? What role has your mother played in your success? Actually, my mother's played a profound role, uh, and, and I would say that it's the importance, instilling the importance of family. Even now, I mean, as, as a lawyer, you know, I travel a lot, I have clients all over the country, but I, one thing I do not forget to do is make time for my family. I don't miss a soccer game for my kids. Uh, I don't miss dinner if I'm in town with my, uh, with my wife and, uh, and kids. So that's how it's been very important to me. And how's that? How, how, what, what are you bringing from mom to work every day? I think the importance of hard work. I mean, she, you know, when my father was working three jobs, my mother was the one taking care of us. So she was, you know, in, in some respects, she was really the head of the family. And uh, she worked hard, and I do the same thing on a daily basis. You're the, you're the oldest of three, right? You have two younger sisters? Correct. What was your role with your younger sisters? You know, in, in a typical Asian family, uh, the male uh, sibling tends to be the most important. Um, so, you know, I had a great relationship with my sisters, although they did dote on me and they would, you know, do a lot of things for me. But over, you know, my sisters are incredibly great friends of mine. Um, we get together all the time because of the importance of family. Um, did you feel, um, did you ditz them or did you feel responsible toward them? Uh, I felt responsible for them as, was that, as was the that oldest to- was, was that told to you? Was that implied or was, you know, was that expressly told you had to do that or how'd that, how'd that happen? I don't think it was ever told to me. I think it's just something that you don't implicit think, well, in the Asian culture. So what was never told to you but, but that implicit? I had, that I was responsible for, my, uh, for taking care of my sisters, that, you know, I had a responsibility to them. It was just it was sort of natural. So, it's, so it's, in the, it's within the family culture, you're telling me, that you felt this responsibility to take care of your sisters. Absolutely. I like think you're it's talking family of, culture plus, plus just, you know, just culture, Asian culture in general. Like you're feeling you have this responsibility toward your parents now. Correct. Uh-huh. How has that helped you develop this law practice? Because you don't hear, I don't usually hear this kind of stuff. You know, I thought law practice was people suing and screaming and yelling at each other. But I'm interested in how your relationship with your sister and your parents are affecting your building this law firm. Well, I think the ability to listen to people um, getting along with people, you know, one of the things that I do as the partner in charge of our DC office is, is I'm open to people talking to me. I make time for them. I want to hear their their issues, uh, you know, and rather than just saying, you know, let's focus on on billable work. But I want to hear about what's important to them. And in the long run, when people feel that that uh-huh. they're willing to listen, uh-huh. it helps build what's a big the similarity practice. between. Uh well, you know, we're going to run out of time. What's the website address of this organization? It's uh, stradley.com. We've been speaking with uh, Profesh Modera, partner in charge of Stradley Ronan, as well as we've had the opportunity to speak with Shelley Murphy, president and CEO of Wesley House Development Corporation, Pierre Lafarge, co-founder and CEO of Spark Fund, Dolly Oberoi, founder and chairman of C-Squared Technologies, and again, most recently, Profesh Modera, partner in charge of Stradley Ronan. Uh, don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com. To learn more about our executive leaders, it's executiveleadersradio.com. To learn more about our executive leaders, we do appreciate you joining us today. Because if you hadn't joined us today, we wouldn't have a radio show. Thank you, and have a nice day. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Executive Leaders Radio, the region's premier radio show highlighting local executive leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the show here on 1500 AM. You can learn more about Executive Leaders Radio by visiting executiveleadersradio.com or tune in next time right here on 1500 AM. That's executiveleadersradio.com.